We are journeying through this series called Reclaim, Loving, Leaving, and Finding Our Faith. Looking at aspects of our faith that might need some sorting and trusting that as we wrestle through what we love um, and what we might need to leave behind, that God is in that process. And that in our seeking, we just might find a faith that is even more what we have always loved. And so today we're talking about a big topic in this uh, that's contained in just four letters. It's the topic of love. Um, Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, love is one of the good words, right? What do we need to reclaim about love? What could possibly go wrong with love? Um, To which I say, you've obviously never been in middle school before. Um, (laughs) A lot can go wrong. I can tell you about it. My middle school crushes can tell you about it. Let's just say there were a lot of notes with a lot of checkboxes, and very few of them were yes in my life. So uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about today, but we are talking about some of the ways that we might have gotten some of our ideas of love wrong, particularly the way that modern uh, religious expressions conceive of it, but also I think what we might reclaim and find anew in the midst of this, because this is important. As, as Crystal said, the central description of God in the faith tradition in which we stand is that God is love, that in some way we say that the very essence of divinity is love, not just that God is loving, but that the very nature of God is love. And so whenever you see love, you are in some way seeing an expression of God. Whenever you experience love, you are somehow encountering God in a real way. And even more, Jesus, whom we follow, says that our practice and our faith is to be love as well. That the great commandments are to love God, love others as we ourselves are loved, and that all of this, all that we do in our faith and our practice hangs on this love. And so the way that we conceive of love and its character shapes in a central way the way that we conceive of God, of our faith, of our life with our neighbors and ourselves as beloved children of God. And so what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Is what's supposed to go there next. Um, So the first time that I began to think that love might be more complicated uh, subject than even Avril Lavigne taught me in middle school was when I was in high school and someone gave me a book by a guy named C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves. And C.S. Lewis, in addition to the whole magical closet thing, uh, was a brilliant thinker and theologian. And in this book, he looks at four primary Greek words for love that appear historically and in our scripture library. And in English, we have, of course, one word for love. But in Greek, there were four main words that were used for different manifestations and dimensions of love. In Greek, there was, was storge, philia, eros, and agape. And in this book, C.S. Lewis teases out kind of the various dimensions of love using these four words to help us get a fuller picture of that. And so storge is, is like an empathy bond. It's an emotional bond of affection, like a familial bond between a parent and a child, an emotional love. And in our tradition says that, that God loves us with that kind of a bond, like a parent, like a, a father or a mother with a deep bond of affection and connection. And there's also eros, which is that powerful sense of being in love with a person, 
fully and deeply entirely, a love of which physical affection is a part, and this is of God as well. There's also the word philia. Uh, it's the word that we, we often think of, we call friendship or brotherly, sisterly, sibling kind of love. Um, not the sibling kind of like love, hate, mom, she's touching me kind of love, but the, but the love part of that in which we have a sense of deep connection and mutuality, equality, a friendship that appreciates the other and desires them to flourish in their own uniqueness as they were meant to be. This is philia. And then lastly, there is this beautiful word, agape, which is the highest form of love, the love which all of these other aspects point to, I think, and at their best exhibit in certain cases. Agape is unconditional love, love without conditions that is freely given and bestowed. And it's the word that's used to describe the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that God is. It's the love that regards what it loves as, as precious and valued and esteemed, like we said, our portion and our prize. It's the love that desires only the well-being of others with no strings attached, that gives generously without conditions, love that never stops offering kindness and love without fail no matter what. It is perfect love, and that is the love that God is. This is the love that God loves you with. That vision of love, I think, is something that's worth reclaiming and holding at the center of our tradition, that you are loved, valued, and esteemed. You are a beloved child of God, beautifully and colorfully made of sacred worth and profound purpose. God's agape love desires your well-being, your holistic flourishing as you are for all you are. And in those moments that we feel most unqualified in this world, that whisper of agape love from God says, I love you with unqualified love. I formed you and know you, and I think you are beautiful and valuable and lovely. You are loved, agape says, perfectly. And so if that's the picture of love, then why do we have to make things so complicated, as Avril would tell us, which is a great question. Avril, thank you very much for asking that. Because here's where it gets complicated. Uh, what I and others have noticed in modern American religious world, there is this fifth kind of love that shows up in, in religious spaces, and sometimes it's the predominant expression of love, and it's called tough love. Right? And in some religious communities, it is the dominant expression of love. It's, it's love that leads, um, uh, that ha- is full of conditions and qualifications. It's love that leads, as Crystal described, that shame and that shunning. It's a judgmental love and a harsh love that, that leads communities to close their doors and families to turn away from their kids. This kind of love doesn't have the effect of agape love. It's not like storge because it's, it's detached from the emotions. It's not like philia because unlike a sibling familial bond, it often ends up severing ties and breaking relationships. It's not agape because it's totally conditional. It treats you well um, and accepts you only when you behave in the way that it wants. This kind of love, I think, doesn't bear resemblance to the love that C.S. Lewis talks about, the love that, that saturates the pages of our scripture library. 
It doesn't reflect or resemble God's kind of unconditional, prodigal, welcoming, all-sacrificing, all-giving, vulnerable love that is for all people. And when I say tough love, I'm not talking about those times in our lives when we need a sit-down or an intervention or a come-to-Jesus moment. I'm so grateful for those moments um, that have often come from my wife, uh, but from others as well, and those who loved me and delivered the truth to me. But in those tough moments, they were always delivered in real love because they were moments that were embedded in unconditional love as the baseline, not moments where conditions were held out as leverage. The bonds were not broken. They were reinforced in those moments. Those moments looked like love and felt like love, and they had the effect of love, which we're told builds up. Not into something that we're not, but builds us into who we truly are even more. It is love that desires not to be right, but to be right by the other person. And so there's this verse that tough love leans on often. Uh, this is a verse from Ephesians chapter 4. It says, but speaking the truth in love, you may have heard that phrase before, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And this verse honestly makes me cringe a little bit. And as a pastor, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> it makes me cringe. But it makes me cringe not because necessarily what it says, but because how this verse gets used. Right? Speaking the truth in love has enabled a lot of people to feel holy about being horrible to other people. You can say terrible stuff as long as you say, I'm just speaking the truth in love. God bless them, bless their hearts. Right? <laughs> but first thing is this. That verse doesn't say that exactly. Uh, in Greek, what we translate in English as speaking the truth in love is actually just literally the participle form of truth. <laughs> so it, it literally means truthing in love is what it says, which you can see why the translation's a little wacky. But in my Jonathan headcanon translation, I like to say embodying the truth in love or, or living out the truth in love. Because we're called to live out the truth of our God in love, the truth of God who loves this world unconditionally and steadfastly, who welcomes all and loves all and invites us to do the same. Reflecting that same unconditional agape love as we love as we've been loved. We're called to live out, to embody that truth of love, which sometimes requires speaking, but always requires living and embodying and loving. And the second thing just about that verse is that the verse invites us to be built up into Christ, to be like Jesus more through this, who possessed truth, but often stayed quiet. And when he spoke, he spoke in love, with love, for love, for all. To defend the vulnerable, not to offend them. To speak truth to power and empowerment to the powerless. And did it all with kindness and with gentleness. That's who Jesus was. And so if you've ever felt like love was a question for you, because of that message of tough love, I just want to say that I'm so incredibly sorry. Because the God who is love, loves perfectly and permanently. And with God's agape love, love is not conditioned or earned or have strings attached. God loves you and will never stop loving you. And so if it doesn't sound like love or feel like love or have the effect of love to build us up into who we truly are, it is not 
God's love. So what is God's kind of love? (laughs) God's love isn't tough love as it's popular imagined, but it is tough. It's so tough. God's kind of love is strong and resilient. It is steadfast. It is full of mercy and without preconditions, and it is fiercely for all people. And so I want you to hear how how Scripture describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as I read that, if you've been around weddings before, you may be like, oh, I know the verses he's going to read. But I want us to hear this outside of weddings, because at my wedding, I knew very little of love, (laughs) only like a few more things than I knew in middle school. It was pretty sad. Um, So I want us to hear it outside that context, maybe hear it in a fresh way. And when we hear this, I want you to pay attention to just how tough and strong and steadfast and courageous this kind of love is. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 starts, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never quits. That's what God's kind of love, the agape kind of love, feels like, looks like, that's what it is. And that kind of love is strong. It is tough. (laughs) I think we've gotten the tough love part a little bit backwards in our world. Because it's God who's the tough one, who's resilient and courageous and tough. It is that kind of love that is tough. And so let's redefine it. God takes the toughness of love into God's self. Tough is the God whose love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Tough is the God's love who never gives up on us or on humanity or on this world, but keeps being with us, pulling us forward through the dark nights and every night, never letting go. Tough is the God who never stops loving the prodigal and welcoming the stranger and seeking the seeker. Tough is the God who believes in us and you and in me, even when we don't even know what we believe about God or ourselves. It is the God who is love and invites us to find ourselves there. It is the God who every time we take a step forward toward who we really are, rejoices like it is a first step like a parent who is totally in love, who is love. That's who our God of agape love is. There is tough love in our world, but it is the tough love of an extravagant God who loves every step we take. And I just wanted to use this excuse to look back on my son's first steps at our house. Ah, That heart, as we take a step that I feel right now, and I appreciate you awing with me, that heart is the kind of love that our God has that's with us and for us and for our sake. It is beautiful love that is is for us. So to love at all is to be vulnerable. And God has chosen love over and over, and there is nothing tougher. So the amazing story about this, as we describe God's love, is that we are invited to live that out in our world as well. We're invited to live in that kind of love for one another, just as we have been loved. And so how do we, how do, we 
do that? <laughs> How do we live not with tough love, but with love that's tough, that's resilient, that is courageous and willing to be vulnerable? Okay, so time out. Um, at this part of the sermon, as we talk about like how to do this, I could just say like, well, we do it by just trying harder, right? By getting out there and being tougher. Um, and this that would be a terrible sermon to, to offer to you. Because one, like we're trying, <laughs> we are. And two, because I don't think that it works exactly like that. Trying is important. Uh, ask any relationship ever. <laughs> it is important to try. But this kind of agape love, I think, in some ways, is beyond trying in our own strength. Growth in this kind of love involves the intersection of something greater, of our lowercase l with that capital L intersecting. And so rather than just getting out there and trying real hard, I think of the work that we're called to do in some ways as, as cultivating this kind of love in our lives and relationships and in our worlds. Because as we cultivate, growth happens both through our effort and through the growth that comes from something beyond us. That God's universe fabric of love that is around us. We cultivate that in a way that reflects that capital L, love, and our love grows strong and resilient. And when our love grows strong, when the tough times come in life, life, our love will have the strength maybe to be resilient, to survive, to be tough, to be part of something bigger in that agape kind of way. So I want to look back just real quickly as we close today on those on those Greek loves that we mentioned, and think about how we could cultivate them, that they might grow even more into agape, into that God's love kind of thing. Um, God's love is, is generous, giving love, and so what can we cultivate by giving in these loves? So let's start with that word storge. This was the familial bond of affection kind of word. This is the love that's so important to, to cultivate because those bonds go deep, right? Um, this this parental affection for a kid. So I want to I suggest that we cultivate that love by giving our time and attention to those around us. There's no substitute for time to deepen and cultivate this love, whether it's among friends or partners or parents or kids. But I also know that, uh, that time is like the one thing that we don't have to give to each other. We don't have enough of that. And so this next part, I'm going to say to myself, and you can just eavesdrop on my sermon to myself. And so here we go. So, Jonathan, <laughs> first, I want to suggest that I make more time. Because everything that I say yes to says no to something else. And so I want to make sure that as I'm choosing, that I'm saying yes to the best things and cultivating the most important things. And second, there are always busy seasons. And so that's why I said time, and attention. Because when we're lacking time, this is when we must be so protective of our attention. I can spend so much time looking at Facebook that I forget to look my kids in the face or read a book to them. And I don't want that. That's not what I want to say yes to. And when things get tough for them down the middle school road, which will happen, I've got to make sure that I've cultivated that deep love in our relationship. And so this Lent, this season that we're in now, is about recentering ourselves and stripping away the externals and returning back to the center. And my time and attention is a path towards centering myself on the right things and cultivating love. And so I'm going to try to do it. And if eavesdropping, you've heard anything that might be for you, I invite you to give your time and attention in new ways as well. So for Philia, for that friendship, brotherly, sisterly, 
kind of sibling love. We cultivate that by giving our help to each other. And here's what I mean. There's a question that's asked by love that seeks mutuality. It's that kind of filial love. When it sees a need, it asks this question, what can I do to help? It may sound like a simple question, but it is a profound question because it asks this, saying, how can I take me, who I am, with all that I am, and help you or help this situation? And as we ask that question and we listen to the response and really listen, we're called to act. And so you can ask this verbally in your relationship sometimes. Teenagers, you can ask this of your parents if you see them doing the dishes or cooking dinner. You can say, what can I do to help? And, and then you won't have to do anything because your parents will faint, and you can just kind of go on with your life. We can also ask it internally. When you see a need in the world, ask yourself, what can I do to help? And you can ask it in prayer. You can ask it in research. You can ask someone who might be a guide for you. And when you listen to the response, act on it, and then listen some more. And so just this weekend, in light of everything, I, I googled a very what-can-I-do-to-help kind of question. I literally typed into the Google, how can I oppose white supremacy as a white person? And there was so much good information that came from typing that into the Google. Speak up every time, whether you're at the cafeteria table or the Thanksgiving table. See color and learn about current and historic inequities in our world. Acknowledge your own participation and prejudices in the systems and advocate for justice and just institutions. And on and on, the answers to what can I do to help came. There's so much that we can do. We've got to ask and seek and listen and act and listen some more. But as we do this work and we ask these questions, this is how God cultivates love, how that God-sized vision of friendship and siblinghood grows as we learn more about what it means to truly be God's children together, <laughs> to be siblings in this human family. And our filia love is cultivated in a way that reflects God's loving heart for all. And so finally, we've talked about sorge, we've talked about philia. How do we cultivate agape, that never giving up unconditional welfare-seeking love of God. So cultivating that seems impossible, <laughs> and it kind of is. Like, how do you muster up agape in your life? But it's also very simple. So last week we said that one of the characteristics of God is that God is with us and for us in every season, with us and for us. And so to cultivate that kind of God love, we need to be with each other and for us each other. We need to be people who are giving our presence to each other, being present with each other and for each other, especially in the tough times. And what I've learned from being a pastor kind of person is that the most important thing in our relationships with each other is not our words or our deep thoughts. It's about showing up for each other, by being present with each other. And in those moments, we allow something greater than us to intersect. We are in some ways ways. We are vessels. We are signs of something bigger, reminders of the God whose love is with us all. 
So there are people in your life right now I know that need you to be present for them, to be a reminder of the God who is with them. Maybe it's physical presence, maybe a call or a text or a note, just showing up for each other in a God's love kind of way, without conditions or expectations or strings attached or sermons or soliloquies, simply showing up and seeing and listening and being for each other. There's a world out there who needs not our words, but our presence to be with this world on their journey in steadfast, patient, unconditional, bearing all things, beloving, believing all things, hoping all things kind of love. But it begins with our presence. That's how we begin to embody the truth in love, the truth of the God who is with us and for us, seeking our well-being. That's what love looks like. That's what we're called to embody in our world. So on Friday, um, some of us got to glimpse a little bit of the difference that simple presence makes. Uh, after the, the tragic shooting at the two mosques in New Zealand on Friday morning, we awoke to a world with our hearts broken. And I know all of us felt this desire welling up to, to do something, followed by that question, what can I do to help? And there are real answers to that question. But, but on Friday, we called over to the Denton Mosque at the Denton Islamic Society, and, and I talked to Imam Muhammad Faoud, and I, I just asked, would it be helpful if we showed up for pri- Friday prayers today, if we were present in support and love? And as he answered me, his voice broke, and he said, oh, that would be so wonderful. And so impromptu, with just like about an hour's notice, about 20 of us showed up to the mosque. Um, this is just a fraction of those who came. And it was a little awkward at first, like truthfully, just sort of standing outside. You just imagine if there, you came to open and there was just a big group of people <laughs> standing outside. But we were there doing our best just to be present in an unconditional for you, with you kind of love. And so that moment that the first people walked toward the steps and our group smiled, put our hands over our hearts, and said, Salam Aleikum, peace be with you. And our mother, Muslim neighbors smiled and put their hands over their hearts and responded, Aleikum Salam, and upon you, peace. In that moment, when we realized what their presence in our shared community meant, when they realized what our presence was there signifying. In that moment, it was not just two groups of neighbors present. Agape was present. God's love with a capital L was present. There were smiles and hugs and handshakes and tears and words of encouragement and gratitude and storge and philia and agape with no strings or conditions, only the hope for our common well-being. So uh, I was talking with a father who was there with his son, who was about my son's age. And he hugged me, and he said, thank you for being here. Our prayers are for a better world. And I said, thank you for being here. Our prayers are the same thing. And through our tears in those moments, we caught a glimpse of the God who is with us and for us and ahead of us calling us forward together in love.
And so on that day, I was so grateful to be there with, with those of you who could come and to hear those words of support, those who weren't able to. I was grateful to be there with our neighbors who welcomed us and brought us bottles of water as we stood outside. But I was also grateful to be in the presence of something bigger than all of that, that all of that reflected in the presence of the God who is love, who invites us to be a part. The mom invited us into the worship service, and many of us went in as a, as a like, pastory person. I sort of felt obligated um, to go, and I'm so glad that I did. I was able to sit there in reverence as the imam delivered a beautiful message in which he said, true peace can only begin with love for our neighbor. Peace, he said, begins with love. And it is true, friends. As beloved children of a God who is love, we are called into this world where peace is hard to find, a world that is tough sometimes. And we are called to step into those places with a love that is tougher, to begin with love, to join with that capital L love of a God who is strong and resilient and tough and vulnerable, whose love is wide and for all, and to bear witness to it as we go in this world and help cultivate it with our attention and our help in our presence. And oh, friends, how it matters. Because our work in love is our prayer. Our prayer for a better world. So may we, on this day and all of the days ahead of us, as we go from this place and into our families and communities and into this world, may we love with a love that looks like God's kind of a love that is strong and vulnerable, gentle and resilient, tough and unconditional, that we might be a part of the work of a God who is love in our world, in our time. Let's pray together. Gracious God who is love, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you that in the difficult times, it is there with us and for us. Help us to be people who are with and for this world, especially in the difficult times. Help us cultivate that love this week in our time and attention, by helping in the ways that we can, and by being present with each other and with our world. God who is with us and for us and ahead of us, with unconditional love for all people, Thank you. We pray this in your love.